everybody, and welcome to another edition of Trashy Divorces, everybody's favorite good podcast about bad relationships. My name is Stacy. Hey, it's Alicia here, friends. Thank you for joining us for today's tale of marital misadventure. And oh my, I've got a good one today. Stacy, it appears that we are in Celebrate Australia Trashy Week. And why not? Between Michael Darby and Rupert Murdoch in my profile today... Goodness, the one and only time, James Bond, George Lazenby, who truly, without question, gives love a bad name. Twice divorced, George Lazenby was, first time from an heiress, the next from just about the baddest tennis doubles player in the world, Pam Shriver, and y'all, it's nasty. I say this for any trash pandas who might be sensitive to domestic violence, Up to the first break in this episode, it's all James Bond such and such, but the back two-thirds of the story, we do pull from a myriad of court records, and it gets pretty dark. You know Stacey and I always want you to protect your trashy hearts, so just a little bit of a sensitivity warning for any of you that might not want to go that far into the terribleness of old George. Before we get started, though, I believe we have a little magic mirror action going on. Some thanks, some praise, some shout outs. Holy cat, so many great folks that I see their names in the mirror this week. I want to give a huge shout out for the kind listeners out there who sent us some emails this past week. Jane, Holly, Ann, Dorothy, Teresa, y'all are amazing. We love getting those emails from you and to our newest Patreon supporters, getting all of our Trashy Divorces episodes early and ad-free with weekly bonuses too. Holy cats, whose name is in the magic mirror? Thanks so much for joining us at patreon.com slash Trashy Divorces. Melissa H., Laura H., Janice P., Alyssa D., Bridget O., Deanna M., Lisa B., and last but not least, the Mysterious S. I actually know who the Mysterious S is, but I love that the Mysterious S just put in S as her initial. So that was fun. (laughs) Y'all, we are so grateful to each and every one of you for your kind support of Trashy Divorces and coming back to the trashy pile of what people do for love or revenge. George Lazenby, he gives love a bad name. Let's go, go, go. So, Alicia, you have probably the least known Bond boy, at least to American audiences. The often forgotten James Bond. My subject today, George Lazenby, lives in between Sean Connery and Roger Moore in the Bond universe. Yeah, that's the bookend to oblivion, if you ask me. (laughs) George's movie was on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Just one? Just one. Oh, yeah. Okay. Only one. This is why why Mm -hmm. he's the forgotten Bond boy. And again, domestic audiences here within the United States might be like, oh yeah, that guy who played James Bond one time. He's much more well-known in Australia. Hello, Aussies. Hey, Aussies. He is an Australian. Uh, Makes sense. Uh, Why not follow up on the heels of Rupert here? They probably have their own eight actors. Let me tell you, no, George Lazenby isn't even an actor. Oh. Okay. So one of the more interesting bits about casting George Lazenby, he's not one of the eight Australian actors because George is not an actor. He's a model. Oh, well. I'm a model. Mm-hmm. I mean, they didn't they like kind of put Sean Connery through some paces before oh, letting him 
very different paces here. Okay. Sit back, take a load off. Let okay. me reveal the tale of our least favorite Australian, probably. I mean, gives love a bad name. All right, George was born on September 5th, 1939. He's a Virgo baby in New South Wales, Australia. George was a very sick child and had a rare anatomical abnormality that was later determined to cause him to be urinating back into his kidneys. It's not good. Bodies are terrifying when they don't work right. That is true. So as a result of this condition, George had a lot of surgeries and by the age of five was left with only half a kidney. I'm sure he was getting kidney infections endlessly until they got it resolved. Oof. Well, doctors say that little Georgie won't live past 12. Like, good luck, kid. Yikes. Yeah. So George will later go on to say that this death sentence at an early age made him feel super daring because he's got zero to lose. YOLO. I guess so. Yeah. His whole life is borrowed time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So as a result. George gets into a lot of trouble as a kid. Hmm. He makes it past that magical age of 12 to be a teenager, and George is always pushing the limits. Completely uninterested in school, George is going to bail on that and find work as a mechanic. Yeah, because after 12, he's invincible, right? Invincible. Working as a mechanic, George finds and falls in love for the first time, and, and girl is heading across the ocean to London, mm. and George follows her. Swimming the whole way. <laughs> <laughs> Gurley soon dumps George. Okay. But that's okay. He's in London now, and he's going to talk his way into being a car salesman. He has zero car selling experience, Why but would that's he? okay. Who did really back then? But it, again, it's probably not hard to convince the sales manager. George is extremely handsome. Mm-hmm. He's a very smooth talker. Yeah, young Aussie in ye oldie London town, I bet, yeah. So it is while selling a Mercedes that young George was discovered by a professional photographer who convinced him to become a model. By the year 1966, George Lazenby was one of the highest paid models and voted top model of the year. Wow. Now, there are a number of versions of the story about how George Lazenby replaced Sean Connery as 007. One version of the story says that Albert Cubby Broccoli and Harry Saltzman saw Lazenby in a television commercial and thought that he looked the part. An alternative version of that says that George is getting his hair cut in the same barbershop as Cubby Broccoli, and Cubby Broccoli's like, whoa, that guy makes an impression. Whatever the truth, George Lazenby learns of the auditions for the new James Bond movie. And George is not going to lie down. He's going to shoot his shot. So what does George do? He goes to get his haircut from Sean Connery's barber in the same haircut. He goes to the tailor that Sean Connery goes to. This is very smart. I mean, you know, like dress for the job you want. Finds a suit. That Sean Connery never picked up and buys that. Hmm. George will also buy the same Rolex that Sean Connery wears in all the films. Starting to get a little creepy, but okay. George shows up to the audition looking and acting as much like James Bond as possible. Or at least the James Bond. Yeah, Sean Connery's Bond, yeah. We know of at that point. So he's imitating, basically. Correct. Okay. 
George is rejected by the secretary. Oh. Yeah. Is George going to take this line down? Is he going to take no for an answer? He wants to be James Bond. He's going to sneak his way in. Hmm. At which point he impresses the casting agents with all of his bravado. And he lies to the producers when they asked, what acting experience do you have? And, I mean, he's already faking it this far. Yeah. So George is like, oh, I've acted in Russia and Czechoslovakia and oh Botswana and every place that there's no way you could verify that on your mm-hmm. IMDb resume, right? right? I'm super popular in East Germany. <laughs> so the producers really are having a tough time. They cannot find the right person to play James Bond in the next film on Her Majesty's Secret Service. I mean, how do you replace Sean Connery? It's tough. The producers have interviewed hundreds of potentials, but none of them fit the bill. So here comes George Lazenby, unknown, handsome, cocky man, walking, looking, talking, dressed like James Bond. They're like, nah, shoot your shot, man. In all versions of this story, one of the producers and directors agree to give George Lazenby a shot. And (laughs) you have a look on your face. Well, he's still not a sure thing for a long time. There's a lot of screen tests involved that they're like, "Mm, we don't know. We don't know. Let's bring him in for another screen test, which I can imagine is frustrating for George Lazenby. His frustration leads him in one of these screen tests, I presume, uh, that he breaks the stuntman's nose in a fight scene. And on that screen test, he gets the part. So, good on you, George. It's the authenticity, you see. (laughs) Now, throughout the filming of his one and only Bond film, George and his co-star, goddess Diana Rigg, do not get along at all. Diana Rigg, most certainly one of the eight actors out of the UK. Cubby Broccoli reportedly calls George Lazenby, quote-unquote, a pain in the neck. (laughs) Broccoli says in a Los Angeles Time interview, would say this about casting the Australian actor. Quote, he just couldn't deal with success. He was so arrogant. There was the stature and looks of a bond, but Lazenby couldn't get along with the other performers and technicians. Unquote. Hold on to that. Because Diana Rigg, for her part, his co-star in this film, has a few things to say. Patreon folks, stay tuned at the end of this episode for our little spider egg bonus segment. Diana Rigg, legend goddess, has much to say about George Lazenby. None of it good. Okay, so overall on the set, it is pretty much agreed upon by everyone that George Lazenby is, I don't know, not the easiest person to work with, translated to a real big dick. (laughs) Off screen, he was also drawing a lot of attention to himself because he's throwing all these wild parties at his flat. New Bond, who dis? In 2017, Hulu releases a documentary called Becoming Bond, which tells the story of how George Lazenby overcame many obstacles to become the unlikely James Bond and what happened to him after completing the film. The facts, I'm using quote unquote because they're taken from Lazenby's account of Mm, this. Okay, so we should believe them. So some critics unquestioningly uh, have said that the truth of the story should at very least be taken with Many, many grains of salt. A salt lick, if you will. Sure. So why did George Lazenby only do that one James Bond film? Accounts again very greatly, and I will say greatly in all cap bold letters. 
in a 2011 interview. Diana Rigg tells the BBC, <laughs> George Lazenby was ill-equipped. It's not nothing that they didn't offer him any sequels. George claims that it was his decision made primarily based on advice from his agent that stops him at one. Yes, an agent and an actor would both be like, what, a lucrative film franchise? No, no, please, please. In Becoming Bond, George says that he was offered a six-film contract, plus a generous signing bonus. I'm sure the agent was like, George, no, no, I don't want my cut of that. So George and his agent supposedly discuss the deal and decide that it was the end of the 60s and Bond is just not going to age well and make it into the next decade. Mm -hmm. George Lazenby's like, James Bond is going to, quote, soon look dated or worse, unquote. George continues in his claims he had been told about the American actor named Clint Eastwood, who was making a tremendous amount of money and finding fame just by doing simple westerns that required much less filming time and less physical work during the filming. And George is like, whoa, YOLO, that sounds better to me as an option. <sighs> George becomes controversial even before the premiere of On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Not only that, he upsets Cubby Broccoli and Harry Saltzman. Good Lord, can you imagine we're about to premiere you as the new James Bond in this movie, and we need you to have a particular kind of look. What does George do? He grows a beard and refuses to cut his hair. Broccoli and Saltzman feel that George's scruffy appearance doesn't really fit what they wanted their James Bond to look like. Not even a little bit. So they're like, we don't want you promoting the film if this is how you're going to show up. So they, (laughs) this is awesome. Cubby and uh, Harry, Broccoli, Saltzman, kick George out of the American press tour on the grounds of refusing to uphold his appearance similar to that of Bond. You should try to look dapper if you're going to go promote your Bond film. Sure. So George has some options at this point, Mm -hmm. right? He could probably get a haircut, Mm -hmm. nice close shave, Shave, mm -hmm, and rejoin the tour. Absolutely. And make a lot of money. Make a lot of money. Sign your six-picture deal. Mm -hmm. Another option, Mm -hmm. he could go back to his flat with his scruffy beard and party, party, party. George does neither one of those options. Oh. George decides instead to fly to the United States at his own expense and just shows up scruffy bearded, unshaved on the red carpet events. They can't see the look on your face. That's But that's the look you should all be making, listeners. (laughs) Oh, it would have been so... You could have been a contender, George. So that wasn't even the last insult. There's, there's one more coming, and that last insult to Cubby Broccoli and Harry Saltzman came when George announces that before the film had even opened, that he, in fact, would not be returning for more Bond films. And you know what? It turns out that that's okay with audiences who would never really warm to Lazenby's performance, at least for a lot of years. It is often said at the time that film was a complete flop, But that's not true. It didn't do as well as the Connery films, and especially its predecessor, You Only Live Twice. But On Her Majesty's Secret Service was one of the top performing films of the year. Now, we all know now in the fullness and richness of time that George Lazenby does not become the next Clint Eastwood. After Sean Connery signs on to do one more Bond film, 
Roger Moore will then go on to be a very popular 007. For George, his career floundered. He does some television movies, television shows, commercials, and eventually goes to Hong Kong to film several action movies where George uses his real-life martial arts experience. It sounds like he's like Steven Seagal before it was cool. There's I, really very little cool about George Lazenby. Yeah. I know you're really trying on this one, but this guy is a class A jerk and gives love a bad name. So I wanted to cover the MI5 case file on the James Bond bit. We're going to take a break here. Hmm. We're going to come back with George's first marriage because, y'all, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. Okay. We will see you on the flip. Sibling fights are unavoidable, but what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother, but that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondery's podcast, Disentel, is hosted by comedians Sydney Battle and Matt Bellisai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Disentel on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Rachel Yucatel, and I'm here to invite you to listen to my podcast, Misunderstood with Rachel Yucatel. This podcast delves into the lives of those who have been reduced to a single headline. Each episode will take a closer look at the stories of those who are on a mission to change their narrative. Join me as we uncover the truth behind the misconceptions, shed light on the stories of those who have perhaps been wrongfully portrayed, explore the complexities of the human experience, and celebrate the power of second chances. Who doesn't love a good comeback story? Okay, Alicia, let's get into George Lazenby, who never misses an opportunity to miss an opportunity. Let's get into his love life. Pretty much. On Her Majesty's Secret Service has come out, come and gone. We have made it to the year 1971. And in this glorious year, George Lazenby will marry for the first time to newspaper heiress Christina Gannett. The couple have two children together, Zachary and Melanie. During their marriage... The couple really does stay out of the media spotlight. George will take a few acting roles, including in soap operas like General Hospital and Rituals. He'll make some guest appearances in Baywatch, The Pretender, and Batman Beyond. But George Lazenby is not a recognizable Hollywood player. Sadly, their son Zach died of brain cancer in 1994, and the loss for Both George and Christina is just nearly unbearable. I'm sure, yeah. George Lazenby describes this situation as agonizing and will say, I thought the pain of seeing him die would break me. Unfortunately, after Zach died, George and Christina's marriage also ended. The couple will divorce in 1995, so they stay married for a good 24 years. And that might be where the story would end. Because George is going to go on to marry Pam Shriver, really super famous tennis player. And maybe we're just not going to hear any more about Christina, but alas, that is not what happened. Because very little is publicized about George and Christina, their marriage, their divorce through the decades and the time. However, 
After Georgia's second divorce was playing out in the public eye, this one is from Pam Shriver, Christina will now, many decades later, come forward Mm. with her own story and allegations. Christina, God bless her, testifies in court in August of 2008. Can you imagine being called into court 15 years later to talk about your terrible marriage because his second marriage went that terribly? So she w- was she testifying in his second divorce? Yes. She Good got pulled into golly. George Lazenby's and Pam Shriver's custody battle in order to corroborate right. Pam Shriver's claims yeah. about George Lazenby. Okay. You give love a bad name. Yeah. Okay. According to the Evening Standard, Christina and their adult daughter, Melanie, both said that Lazenby, quote, threatened and tormented them, unquote. Christina will tell the court how Lazenby allegedly hit her in the face when she was aged 21 and also five months pregnant. This happens when George tells her where to park their car and she chose another space instead. Oh, so a very, very important high stakes type Super thing. High I stakes. mean, you can see how emotions would be running high. Christina, quote, as I was turning into the parking lot, I felt a thump by George in the side of my face. I looked at George. His jaw was clenched and pulsing. He looked furious and he yelled, you park where I tell you to, unquote. Christina further alleged that Lazenby threatened to kill her or take the children when she said she wanted a divorce. Christina also said she was so afraid that he would actually do it that it took years and years for her to find the courage to finally leave him. Well, that's terrible. Christina said in her court declaration, quote, On a few occasions, I told George that I wanted a divorce, and he said that he would kill me if I ever left or that he would take the children. I never left George until after our son passed away and our daughter was 21 years old out of fear that he meant what he said and would follow through on it, unquote. Christina further testifies that when their son was dying of cancer, George continued to be abusive to both Christina and their daughter. Christina says that George hit Melanie several times after Zach was diagnosed with a brain tumor in 1985. Christina believes that George felt, quote, helpless and frustrated, unquote, about not being able to cure Zach and, quote, lashed out even more in his aggravated and devastated state, unquote. Yeah, I mean, if you if you lack impulse control to start with, like when actual stress lands on you, it, that's, it's not going to make it better. When it becomes obvious that their son was going to lose his battle with cancer, Christina tells George that she wanted to take Zach to Hawaii to spend his last days in his very favorite place, saying, I looked down for a second, and when I felt a hard blow from George to my face, I fell to the ground. I was terrified. Christina claims a doctor said her nose was broken and advised her to, quote, stay out of harm's way, unquote. Tough to do when that's your husband. Yeah. Christina's testimony goes on to claim that George Lazenby attacked her for about a month later in Hawaii after she told him his belief a doctor was responsible for Zach's death was ridiculous. It's just shocking to me this is in the 1980s. I mean, the the doctor who said, Stay out of harm's way. He knew what was happening. 
Her statement says, I then went into our walk-in closet to get my sneakers. I bent forward to pick them up, and when I was kicked so hard by George from behind that my head slammed against the wall. When I looked up, George was furious and threatened to kill me if I didn't agree with him. I felt sorry for George, but I was afraid to get trapped in the closet with him in that state. I retreated and became quiet until he dropped his guard for a second, and then I ran downstairs screaming that he had no right to hurt me. I ran as hard as I could down to the beach where there would be witnesses in case he tried to hurt me further. Later, George says that I made him do it. George never said that he was sorry for any harm he caused to me or the children. Naturally, George Lazenby vehemently denies these claims and says they are, quote, contrived, unfounded, and without merit, unquote. In a statement released by his spokesman, Michael Sands, he said, I wish Christina would show me a medical report, x-rays, and pictures that show I broke her nose. I never punched her in my life. This is absolutely heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. This guy is terrible. Mm -hmm. Terrible, terrible. I'm sorry, Australia. And what they're going through with their son in this moment, like, ugh. Very bad, very bad decisions. But the bad news is not over for George, because then his daughter Melanie takes the stand and says that her father, quote, tormented me, humiliated me, hurt me physically, scarred me emotionally, and placed a feeling of fear and mistrust in me, unquote. That's thorough. (sighs) Again, according to the Evening Standards reporting of the court documents, Melanie said, quote, in general, from the ages of about 10 to 21, my dad frequently would hit me, pin me up against a wall, slap me, and hold either my arms or my face with extreme force, frequently causing bruises. Melanie goes on to say on one occasion when she was about 18, her father pushed her head down a toilet into her own urine. It's a great dad. This is good dadding. He probably gets all sorts of gifts on Father's Day. Melanie continues, quote, During my childhood, I was also frequently subjected to emotional abuse in addition to the physical abuse. My dad constantly picked on me about not being very intelligent. I have dyslexia. And also that he did not think I was thin enough. I ended up suffering from anorexia and bulimia from the age of 16 onwards. At my thinnest point from the disease, I was 97 pounds and 5 feet 8 inches tall. My dad asked me if I was worried that my legs might break or go up my ass or sing, Here She Comes Miss Ethiopia, to the Miss America tune when I would walk past him. There are no words. Let me just, I mean, it's terrible. It's, I mean, trashy, Mm. trashy on the very not delightful at all side. This this is is terrible. Not a comedy episode this time. Sorry. George Lazenby explains his daughter's claims by saying that she was getting revenge against him for ignoring her during her brother Zach's extended illness leading up to his death. Well, it sounds like from George's point of view, he's perfectly great and everyone else is at fault for everything. So, yeah, cool, cool. That's what George, I think, thinks. That's great. Lazenby admits that he didn't pay much attention to Melanie from the time she was 12 years old, quote, because he was busy attending to Zach's needs because he was dying from his brain tumors, unquote. Continuing on saying George does, I never thought a family member would kick me when I was down. 
I shudder to think what how he treated his son when his son was sick. I, terrible, terrible. Melanie explains that she chose to have very infrequent contact with her father after her parents' divorce and would only see him about once a year. But when George Lazenby started a family with Pam Shriver, Melanie did want to have a relationship with her half-siblings and decides to be part of his life again. However, Melanie claims that the emotional abuse didn't stop once she was an adult and he had a new family with his new wife. Melanie claims a drunk Lazenby called her a quote-unquote lying bitch after she declined to go with him to a hardware store earlier in the day. Melanie says, quote, He said that I was his old family, and then pointing to Pam and the new kid, that he had a new family and he didn't need me anymore. He told me that Christmas was canceled for me and that everyone else would be having a wonderful Christmas the next morning except for me. Melanie says she spent Christmas Day alone in her hotel room and did not speak to her father for about 18 months afterwards. Quote, he invited me to fly 21 hours from New York to Sydney with the promise that we would start a new relationship and have a wonderful Christmas, only to have him revert back to the man I grew up with once I was there, who wanted to intimidate, embarrass, and exert control over me, despite the fact that I was 31 years old at the time of this incident. Melanie claims that she asked her father to apologize for her alleged childhood abuse after she had finished college, just to give her some closure. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm working through it, Dad. If you could just say you're sorry, that, that'd be cool and, and we'll be okay. And you really can't turn the page until, you know, he's acknowledged what he's done and how it has affected the people around him. Like, Does George acknowledge that? I'm going to go with no. Uh, George denies he ever properly hit her and allegedly told Melanie, quote, that if he actually ever had hit me that hard, I'd be dead, unquote. This poor girl, I... Oof. Poor girl, poor wife. Yeah. Because Christina and Melanie mm-hmm. together say they come forward because they felt in the interest of protection here. Okay. They felt it was in the best interest of his new young children mm-hmm. to reveal to a court their experience right. with George. Maybe supervised visitation is the way no, to go here. No, they feel that George should have no part of custody well, with those kids. Reasonable, but yeah, if... yeah. Melanie does admit in court that she had never seen her father bully or physically harm his children with Pam Shriver, but isn't at all confident that it wouldn't happen in the future. Quote, My fear is that he does have a temper, which sometimes leads to violence and saying awful things, and that it could flare up again when provoked. I do worry if he's alone with them and one of the children upsets him, that without someone to step in, if he gets into a fit of rage, that one of the children could get hurt based on his past behavior. I truly don't feel that my dad means to hurt anyone, but his temper does get the best of him, and he is sometimes unable to control himself. I feel that because of the tender ages of the children, that it would be best to err on the side of caution and to only allow him supervised visits to ensure their safety, unquote. Now, all of these claims sound very damning for George Lazenby, but just wait. 
because there's going to be another daughter that's going to come up and testify on his behalf. Jennifer Lazenby will make an appearance and surprise everyone because Jennifer is George Lazenby's secret love child. I was going to say, because no one knew she existed. That's exactly right. But first, we need to get George married to Pam Shriver. So let's make that happen. Pam Shriver, holy cats, considered one of the best, greatest, magnificent double players in the history of tennis. Pam's tennis career lasted for nearly two decades, during which she won 111 doubles championships. Wow. Yeah. Okay, super accomplished. No, Pam Shriver... Her longtime tennis partner was Martina Navratilova. Mm-hmm. Go back and listen to that episode from many, many years ago. Yeah, way back. If you want her story. And like they're literally virtually unbeatable. They win 74 titles. You ready for this? Martina and Pam have a record-breaking partnership that includes a 109-match winning streak that goes from April 1983 to July 1985. Wow. They were unbeatable. They were beautiful to watch. Sure. Their connection, their chemistry, if you're into tennis, go back and watch some shriver Navratilova matches. They are, ha, oh, how doubles should be done. I'm latching on to the happier part of the story right. here, which is tennis, because, sure. wow. All right, Pam Shriver, kind of a legend. After retiring from her tennis career in 1996, Pam Shriver goes on to have a very successful broadcast career with several different networks including ABC, CBS, ESPN, the Tennis Channel, and the BBC. It is in the year 2000 that Pam and George meet when a mutual friend introduces them at, where else? Wimbledon. Come on. Of course. Little strawberries, little tea, cream, crumpets. I don't know. The two meet. She'll say we had a two-minute conversation When we found out our houses in suburban Los Angeles were two blocks from each other, he gave me his number. I didn't call for five months. I was going through a lot of stuff. (laughs) Well, could have continued not calling. Let's just put it that way. Well, what stuff is Pam Shriver going through? She's 39 at the time she meets George Lazenby, and Pam is very much still grieving for her first husband, Joe Shapiro. He, Joe Shapiro, had died of cancer the Mm -hmm. year before, September 1999. Grieving widow, Pam, Mm -hmm. does that stop George, who was 62 at the time, from making a strong impression on Pam, who said that he was still, quote unquote, absolutely gorgeous? Like, Pam's like, yeah, call you when I'm not grieving anymore. Mm -hmm. Maybe. And admittedly, Pam and George do have some things in common. They love an active lifestyle. And they also, on some level, understand that component of grief. I was going to say they could probably bond over the loss of a loved one, too. Right. George has lost a son. Pam Mm -hmm. has lost a husband. Pam will say about their 23-year age gap, I thought I should find someone within five years of my own age, but my history is older guys. I have a strong personality, and older guys can deal with it better. (laughs) Oh, gosh. All right. Year after, October 2001, because Pam does call and blah, 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 and, and whatever. Love affair, bonding, George mm-hmm. proposes in October of 2001. <laughs> just, that was the, <laughs> the so, Cliff's Notes version of their so courtship. so mad about it. <laughs> There's a romantic dinner, he proposes. This is the, the Reader's Digest version. <laughs> 
speaks with the Baltimore Sun about their engagement. And George says, if you had asked me a year ago if I would ever get involved with a celebrity, I'd definitely say no. Pam seems to have her priorities in a correct line. That's the difference. Pam will say, I'm an upbeat person by nature, but I have to tell you, I feel very happy right now. I don't ever remember being happier. Pam and George do marry in a small ceremony in the backyard of their Pacific Palisades home on June the 12th, 2002. And right, she's older. She was 39 when they met, so now she's in her early 40s. He's 23 years older than her, so you'd think that the couple would not really be intent on having kids. Like, we're probably just going to... He's already, a, he's already raised a family, yeah. Yeah. But. But Pam definitely wanted children, and when Joe Shapiro, her first husband, died tragically before they were able to have any, Pam is afraid she might never get to become a mother. Mm-hmm. And Pam wanted children so much that even when she and George first met back at Wimbledon, she was already undergoing IVF treatments with her late husband's sperm to get pregnant. That implantation was not successful, But George, new bloom of love, understands Pam's desire for children and is kind of open about starting a family with her. A family friend says Pam was desperate for children when she met George, and George was very understanding. So, mazel. Soon enough, Pam is thrilled to find out she's pregnant. The couple welcomes a son in July of 2004. Pam and George, super excited when they have twins. Hmm. Just a little bit more than a year later in the fall of 2005. So they very quickly have three children and he's in his mid-60s now? Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yep, yep. And for a few years, it seems like everything's going great with the family. But alas, it is in the summer of 2008. That is not very long. When it becomes abundantly clear that the marriage of George Lazenby and Pam Shriver was anything but ideal... We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about that divorce from Pam Shriver. Can we call it the trial of the century? (laughs) He really does give love the worst, worst, worst name. Back in a minute, friends. All right, Alicia, my guess is that what is coming is not uplifting or happy, but it's real. It is real, and again, to our listeners, like, There's some heavy content in here, so if this isn't your ballywick, do be warned, because that all was pretty bad with Christina. Pain and grief and trauma are not a competition, but it's downright terrible with Pam Shriver. In August 2008, the marriage of George Lazenby and Pam Shriver comes to a very public end with the ex-spouses filing for divorce and making very ugly claims about each other. Their turbulent marriage turned into an explosive breakup after Shriver files for divorce in Los Angeles, citing the old reliable irreconcilable differences. Pam Shriver accuses George Lazenby of being quote-unquote an abusive drunk, and Lazenby accuses Shriver of regularly mixing alcohol and prescription drugs until Pam is in a quote-unquote stupor. Although the public was hearing all about their contentious marriage now, Apparently, the troubles had been going on for quite some time. This is not going to be any kind of big shocker. I think I've 
seen this film before and I didn't like the ending, Shriver claims that George had threatened to kill her if she sought custody of the children and said that he physically injured her the year before at Wimbledon during an argument. Pam Shriver claims to be afraid of what Lazenby is capable of doing to her. George returns those accusations by saying that Shriver had thrown golf clubs at his head after he told a joke she didn't like. He also disputed in court that Shriver is scared of him saying, quote, She is six foot one inches, strong, athletic, and 22 years younger than I am. It's ludicrous for the petitioner to say that she is afraid of me, unquote. George is going to up the ante even more saying that Pam Shriver had hidden away guns in the home in the Pacific Palisades. You know, it's starting to sound like that might be a wise move. George says, God, just men. Lazenby says that he had been a virtual house husband, making trips to the grocery store, cooking all of the family meals, and taking care of the children while Pam was busy with her career and would spend up to two months of the year working away from home. George, in his championing of himself, I've changed hundreds of our children's nappies and could do it blindfolded. Isn't that called parenting? It's called parenting, parenting, but it's whatever you grab on. Okay. Court documents reported on by the Daily Mail show that it wasn't just big issues that the couple fought over. Never is. It's always the chicken leg, right? This is the parking space. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. Apparently, George and Pam were extremely competitive, and neither would let the other get the last say. Divorce papers revealed that, quote, the couple squabbled over the tiniest aspects of parenting, whether the children should wear sunblock. I Just yes yeah. is the answer to that. How many times a day they should brush their teeth? Well, Two a is few. Normal, yeah. Whether they should use car safety seats. Yes. Again, Yes. Also kind of the law. There were pages and pages and pages of claims and then counterclaims that the couple makes against each other. This is a ter- is a nasty, nasty divorce. They both detail numerous arguments they'd had and cite naturally the other one's unreasonable behavior in that argument. The incident, which was the last straw for the couple, so, listeners, if <laughs> we've talked about this, you just said the parking lot. I call it the chicken leg. It's never the big thing about what it is you're fighting over. It's something very, very tiny that is indicative of every other big issue at play. Right. Last straw. Here's the chicken leg parking spot for the couple. Happens at Wimbledon again, June 2007. They return home after watching tennis and find one of their sons crying in his bed. And after talking with the son about why he was upset, the couple gets into a fight about the actions of the nanny. According to Pam Shriver, George Lazenby, quote, grabbed my arms and twice shook me hard, squeezing my arms until bruising both of them. It was the first and scariest physical incident, unquote. Pam Shriver, done, out. The following morning, Pam Shriver gets her three kids, flies in a private plane to her mother's home in Baltimore, Maryland. She leaves a letter for George, which says, in part, I feel forced to leave with the kids to a safe haven and ask you one last time to seek help. The Daily Mail will report, quote, 
Lazenby admits leaving marks on his wife's arms. I felt horrible and told her so, but says, This event was, in reality, a disagreement about our nanny not supervising our son. I heard our son screaming, and I ran to him. I found that the nanny was in the shower while our son was in the midst of a fit. Because the nanny can't get clean? Come on. George continues, by adding, quote, that his wife did not seem to be concerned. I grabbed her arms to get her attention. I was upset at what I perceived to be a complete lack of concern for our son. I was probably more upset than I should have been due to the fact that I had been drinking at the time, unquote. And in fact, George Lazenby's drinking is part of nearly all of Pam Shriver's complaints against him saying, quote, I expressed many times that until he got help, I could no longer be in the marriage, unquote. Pam does go on to file for divorce, citing irreconcilable differences and accusing Lazenby of, there's a little bit of a list here, threatening to kill her, assaulting her in a drunken rage, and giving alcohol to all three of their children, allegations all of which George has denied. But, it appears that she was not 100% convinced that the marriage was over. The court documents later show correspondence via email between the couple. George writes to Pam, quote, I know in my heart that I don't want to hurt anyone. Yes, I get angry. I am strong enough to cut that out of my life and make it easy, and I will promise not to touch any kind of spirits ever again, unquote. Pam responds, quote, I know you're in pain, me too. I am in mourning, depressed. I'm sorry it has come to this. I know you have a sensitive side, but it's the dark, aggressive, angry side that has been fueled by booze that has resulted in this situation. I will always care for you. I am crying too, unquote. After Pam had already filed for divorce after the Wimbledon incident, Pam was persuaded to give her husband just one more chance after he promised he'd go to rehab and the two would attend marriage counseling together. When Pam suspects that George is, in fact, not keeping his part of the bargain, she'll tell him, quote, your being sober is a non-negotiable aspect of us being together, unquote. But within weeks, the pair were squabbling again. George says, quote, I've been walking on eggshells in this relationship with your threats of divorce and rehab, and I feel like it's time for you to drop all this, unquote. George goes on, claims to have been shocked, I say, when he was served with divorce papers, and claims for sole custody of their children, also a temporary restraining order and an emergency protection order. George is like, how could you what? Me? You need an emergency protection order and a restraining order, and you don't want me to see the kids? What? George immediately contests all of these orders and will quickly apply for joint custody, insisting, quote, bad chemistry and disagreements about parenting do not fall within the definition of domestic violence, unquote. George gets his camp out, according to one of his friends, quote, George is devastated, he can't believe what Pam is saying. She's airing phony, dirty laundry in public. He is a hands-on father who would never hurt his children. <laughs> Wait. He was married for 24 years to his first wife, Chrissy, with no problems. Oh. Oh, he is that what happened? Uh -huh. Okay. He's never been arrested for domestic violence or drink driving. 
That's what they call it in the UK, I think. Yeah, drink, driving, drink driving, not drunk driving. Right. Continuing from the source. Possibly in Australia, too. Yeah. After what happened to Zach, the thought of losing his children is the worst thing imaginable, unquote. Now, George goes on to make several counterclaims against Pam Shriver as well. He alleges that she takes a nightly cocktail, quote-unquote, of prescription painkillers and alcohol. Shriver, for her part, simply said, quote, I deny every single allegation that I am ever anything but cognizant and able to function well in all areas, unquote. You're not the best double players in the world without being able to react, read a situation. Come on. Well, and I think parents of small children who may wake up with a fever or or hurt themselves or what, right? Like, I feel like parents of small children tend not to, like, take a handful of pills and booze before going to sleep. No. I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. It, it certainly does it far certainly too often, does, but... It but Call me skeptical, I guess. I mean, he his version of a nightly cocktail could be whatever, a melatonin. God knows, a, right? Yeah, what a glass of saying. wine and yeah. Okay, so claims, counterclaims, one side back the other. As the divorce rages on, the accusations reveal something even more shocking. Pam Shriver claims that when they talked about a possible divorce few years earlier, this would be back in November 2006, George makes a death threat against her. Shriver goes on to further claim that George, quote, has threatened to kill me if I ever seek custody of the children, unquote. Quote, we were having a hard discussion about whether we could continue under one roof. When the conversation turned to the kids, he said, if you take the kids, I will kill you, unquote. Great. Then they can be raised by relatives presumably because you'll be in prison okay but wait remember i told you about jennifer secret love child right i know you'd forgotten all about about secret love child okay so once the ugly legal proceedings between george and pam are in full force the love child surprises the public here comes lazenby's long-lost daughter from australia coming in to defend her father jennifer lazenby writes a declaration on his behalf calling her father Quote, a kind and very good man, unquote. Has she met him? Although Jennifer had never wanted to be publicly known, she felt she had to come forward to clear her father's name from Shriver's accusations and from the accusations made by Christina and Melanie. George says of Jennifer, quote, When I was a car salesman at 21, I met a young Australian Army Sergeant, Maureen Powell, who was a physical education instructor at Duntroon's Officer Training School in Canberra. Out of that brief relationship, I came to realize much later in life that I was the father of Jennifer. Jennifer is loved as all my children are with all I've got, unquote. So he was not there for raising her when she was a young child? Okay. Jennifer testifies, quote, When my father married Pam and had their children, apart from the parents, no one could have been more excited or happier than I. Finally, I thought I had the chance at having a relationship with my siblings from the beginning of their life. And then a couple of years ago, Pam and my dad took me out to dinner and told me they had written their will to say that if anything did happen to both of them, I would have care of raising the trio, my baby siblings. I believe the children would be amazingly fortunate to have my dad as their father as he can pass on to them a sense of who they are that will empower them. 
What child can't benefit from a loving, caring parent that continuously shows them pride in everything he does and says? You can see it in his eyes. It's coming from his heart and soul, unquote. This level of fighting continues on for many, many years with accusations being made and denied and flung back and forth. It's a tennis match. Hmm. Finances also get brought into the feud, makes it a little uglier because the couple does have a prenup, but they're going to battle over the prenup too. Finally, in May 2011, three years after Pam Shriver filed for divorce, the divorce agreement is finally, blessedly, finalized. The details of their financial agreement were sealed and marked confidential, Pam Shriver was successful in getting the judge to forbid her ex-husband from drinking alcohol, according to their divorce agreement. In the end, it was determined that they will share custody of their children, according to legal documents. This is what, May 2011? Little addendum follow-up here. In 2013, Los Angeles Superior Court Judge Robert Willett signed documents overturning Lazenby's previous alcohol ban. So this would allow Lazenby to drink as he chose? Sure. Okay. So the court order and stipulation Can read, you imagine going into court and being like, Your Honor, I, I know I said I would do this, and but... Man, I, I need a drink. Wow. The court order and stipulation read, The prior order that the respondent is restrained and enjoined from consuming alcohol 12 hours prior to his custodial time with the minor children and during his, cust- and during his custodial time with the children is hereby vacated. So it's not even a total. Like, no, it's if we, just if, if we gonna... find yeah, if we find out you've been drinking, you lose custody or whatever. It's within twelve hours and during your time. Maybe with your just children. don't drink when your kids are here. Yeah, maybe that's a condition of your custody but is not to drink when your kids are around because you're kind of a mean drunk. Entirely reasonable. Two years later, though, that was overturned. Vacated. Wow. Hereby. Yeah. I mean, like, yay freedom and all that, but it, I feel like there's enough evidence that there may be some problematic behaviors associated with his drinking that, like, it's not unreasonable to put that constraint. That is the trashy divorces tale of George, first wife Christina, second wife Pam. He gives love a very, 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 very bad, 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 terrible bad name. Wow. Well, as the Bond boys go, that was a story. (sighs) Sorry, I feel like that sound that I just made was not ideal for podcast consumption. We don't call it feel-good time divorces. (laughs) No, it's, it's trashy. Happy Tranquil Divorces, brought to you by us. As for trash cans for this fool, holy cats, can we just unlimited? Yeah. Filling the Wimbledon Stadium? Yeah. You know what? Let's go ahead and fill all Grand Slam tours. There you go. Right? We got the Australian Open, Wimbledon, mm-hmm. U.S. Mm-hmm. Open, French Open. Let's fill Roland Garros. Yep. You know what? And then Wimbledon. And then we're going to double it. Oh, perfect. Yep. Four packed stadium trash can fulls. Oh my God. Doubled. Perfect. That's it. Good Lord. May we never speak of George Lazenby again, although Fine by Pam me. Shriver. Fine doubles player Mm -hmm. truly remarkable all right Mm. that's it friends that's what we got today patreon folks don't go anywhere 
uh, our little bonus thing, we're going to talk a little bit more crap. I'm sorry I'm not done with George Lazenby because we're going to talk a little bit more crap about him, what Diana Rigg has to say, and how George Lazenby managed to piss off all of Perth last fall in 2022. Oh. It's terrible. Perth, we give you so little attention here. So yeah, we're in for that. Perth. So stay tuned for that, Patreon folks. Trash pandas united worldwide. I think we can all kind of feel the same way about this one. We're going to wrap this episode up. Don't forget, Trashy Royals has launched. Subscribe Mm -hmm. and listen to the first few episodes of that. Yep, search for that in your podcast player. Should be there. Meanwhile, within our Hemlock Creatives Ballywick, Done and Done is mm-hmm. midway through Truman Capote's High Society Swans. If you're into those high society ladies, be sure to check out Done and Done now. We're going to be back Wednesday, as always, with a brand new, hopefully less trashy story than this. But again, it's it's in our name, man. It's piping Hot Trash Candy is what it's going to be. Thank you again for tuning in today, for spending your time with us, for telling your friends about Trashy Divorces, for your kind emails, for your kind reviews, for your support on Patreon, for generally being the most awesome podcast community in the entire universe. Mm -hmm. I want to give you stadiums full of trashy heart love. All right, friends, until we do meet again. Going to need you to keep those hands clean, friends. Keep your hearts trashy. Watch your lines. Fault. I think we found it with George. (laughs) Cheers, everybody. Bye. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacey and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at CarbonMade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram. And definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at TrashyDivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at TrashyDivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashy divorces. Interested in some trashy divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there and thanks again everybody for listening. Keep it trashy y'all.